And now, broadcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK and Rick. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Tuesday, November 24th, 2020, and I have my good friend, Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmhurst Memorial Hospital on the line. How, uh, how are you doing with the snow there, Pam? Well, I'm looking at my window and the snow's all gone, but it's really dreary and raining. So it's not a great day. The sunshine was out last time we talked. I don't know. Today's not so good. Well, let's not talk about the weather. And instead, let's talk about what I just saw on the hospital's social media. And that is that the hospital... Uh, got another magnet designation. Why don't you tell us about that and how significant that is? Well, thank you so much for noticing it. We are so, so proud. We got a call on Monday, and um, we had had our magnet virtual review uh, a little while back, and they told us that they were so backed up we would not hear if we had magnet till like, Christmas time. Yet they called us on Monday and told us that they unanimously voted us in for magnet redesignation. And not only did they vote us in, they identified five exemplars of best practice in the country in professional practice at Elmhurst Hospital. So we are so, so proud of all of our staff, of the quality of nurses, and all our clinical staff and physicians, because we don't, nurses don't do this alone. It is, takes everybody together and our community involvement with the hospital to get this kind of designation. But to get five exemplars is pretty unheard of, and so we are very, very excited. Well, and I always seem to believe that a hospital really, it's a lot of things, but it's in particular the nursing staff, because the nursing staff are the the staff members that that patients and their families interact with the most. So I think that's very significant. Yes, thank you. So if anybody knows a nurse from Elmhurst, please congratulate them and and tell them how impressed you are with them because it takes every single one of them to make this happen. Well, congratulations to your entire staff. So can you give us a quick update since we last spoke, uh, which was a week ago, in terms of your uh, COVID patient census? I'm happy to do that. Um, and when we last talked, we had 84 positive patients with three on vents and three pending. Uh, today, I'm happy to say we're down to 72 positive patients with three on vents and three pending. And I will tell you that that 72 are not the same of the 84 because we are discharging a lot every day and we are admitting a lot every day. So there's been a lot of movement. The length of stay is much shorter than last time. And so that 72 is probably maybe half of them to three-quarters of them are new from the last week. Um, We have had, from last time, we had 110 deaths. Now we have had 112 deaths. Um, In terms of DuPage County, at the last time we spoke, there was 35,878 patients that were positive. now we're up to 42,201 people that are positive. Um, in terms of deaths, last time we spoke, there were 704, and now there's 709 in DuPage County. In terms of the state, we went from 586,569 up to 666,000, and in deaths, we went from 11,217 up to 12,141. And for the really good news, 
In terms of discharges, we went from 830 discharges up to 896 discharges. So you can see there was a lot of movement in terms of people leaving the hospital. And the state remains at a 97% recovery rate. So you mentioned that um, there are a lot of patients coming and going with COVID. In, in the beginning of this pandemic, it seems like you had quite a few patients there that were there for many weeks. And what's a typical stay now if, if they do get discharged? Is it more like a week or 10 days? Um, pretty much it can be three to four days. So we are uh, moving people in and out fairly rapidly. So Great. That, okay. Like before it was three weeks. I see that uh, DuPage County now has a, a testing site uh, that's not, you know, affiliated with a hospital at the Odium in Villa Park. And I know that, you know, in the past, uh, Edward Elmhurst Health had a testing site in Warrenville. Is there any thought of reopening a site like that now that numbers are back up? Actually, we are in the process of looking at opening another site. Um, you know, we are doing testing at multiple loca locations now. We are doing it at about 11 different locations throughout the Edward and Elmhurst um, area. But we are looking at maybe opening a temporary drive-up site at our business office complex at North, um, North Elmhurst, up over off Church Street, um, north of uh, Lake Street. There's a, a, a building that we have there that we own, and it's currently only occupied by our laundry facility. So it's a very large facility and has a large parking lot that we could do a drive through there. And so we're hoping that we can get that open and running tentatively the week of December 7th. At this point, we're trying to do that. And we're also looking at, we think drive up is something people will like in the future, not just for testing, but for vaccinations and maybe lab work and other things. And so we are looking at a more permanent drive up location that would be somewhere between Edward and Elmhurst um, that we would hope to be able to utilize in the near future. We've identified a site we like. We haven't gotten approval yet to do that, but um, in terms of the, the city and um, you know our organization, but we are hoping that we can get something like that up maybe by April or May. Well, it's apparent that there really will be some permanent changes as a result of what we've learned through this, and you know that's a great example. I have a question about you know the increasing rates in in COVID positive tests recently. Are you seeing that at nursing homes and other long term care facilities as well as the general public? Yes, we're seeing clusters of COVID cases in several long-term care facilities. Okay, yes. so that is spiking back up because I know in the beginning that was a you know a big, big uh, contributor. I guess a lot of these long-term care facilities, and we haven't heard much about them recently. So, and is that obviously coming in from the outside, right? We're assuming it is because they did have it under control for quite a while, and I think as everybody loosened things. Uh, so, you know, and as as employees who also are out in the community and who get sick, they're just at risk. And so now that's spiking up again. Once it gets in a long-term care facility, it's really hard to control the spread. And so I know they're working on it, and we're trying to get it back to um, how we had gotten it under control before. I, I do know they have to lock down the entire place, and it's very hard on, on the people in the nursing home as well as their families. 
but um, that's the only way for them to get control of it. So we know that over the last six to eight weeks that cases have been spiking, yet the last week or 10 days, it seems like at least your numbers are flattening and maybe decreasing a little. Is there any evidence that that's a trend, that it it may slow up again like it did the first time? (laughs) Well, we're hoping. If we were looking at our cases, we'd say yes. In the last three days only, we're seeing less admissions and less of daily positivity rate, but um, we're very worried about the holiday and what will happen after the holiday, particularly if people choose to ignore warnings and get together. Um, we see, you know, it's very nerve-wracking that so many people are traveling by airplane, and so we're hoping that all the precautions the airplanes are taking will help prevent spread, but all so many people in such a closed area is a little concerning, and we're worried that there'll be another upsurge after the holidays, after at least Thanksgiving. I saw your uh, chief medical officer, Dr. Dan Sullivan, on a local access uh, TV show, which is a YouTube show, Elmhurst Our Community, and he mentioned that there was some success um, treating COVID patients by putting them on their stomachs as opposed to their backs or sides, maybe. Can you, do you know anything about that, and can you explain what, what that really means and why that might be successful? Yeah, um, what we call that is proning, a proning position. And we've been doing that. We actually learned it probably a month into when we were first treating patients in March that it would be beneficial. And what it is is that when you put somebody on their stomach, it expands their lung capacity and allows air to get further into the lungs to reach all areas of the lung. And so if somebody is having trouble breathing, uh, if we regularly prone them or have them lay on their stomach for up to 12 to 16 hours a day, as much as they can tolerate, it does help them breathe better and help prevent them having to go um, further into having more assistance with their breathing, such as being ventilated. So it's, it's much better because we do know once we ventilate a patient, it's harder to get them off the vent and have them um, recover as quickly. So trying to prevent ventilation is, it being on a vent is really important. So uh, we know that COVID patients, uh, patient census is up, as I've, I've said many times here already today. Has that affected people's willingness to come into the hospital for routine procedures? And I know the hospital is certainly willing to perform them, but do they... Do people seem to be skittish again like they were early in the pandemic? No, I think we're pretty much getting people to come in. Um, our outpatient services continues to grow uh, as it has in the past. So I do think people are, are feeling more comfortable. The place that we're seeing less patients or have been seeing less is our emergency department. Now, recently with all the the uptick in COVID patients, our emergency departments are really busy again. But, um, you know, that's probably the place that was picking up the slowest was the emergency departments. I noticed that the uh, two companies in particular that um, claim to be close to having vaccinations ready for distribution at at least minimum levels have uh, tried to get emergency use authorizations through the FDA. Is that something that we've seen before? Is that common? And have other vaccines um, been given emergency use authorization that you know of? 
Um, well, so what emergency use authorization really is, is um, it is the authority that allows the FDA to help strengthen the public, the nation's public health protections against chemical, biological, radiological, and or nuclear threats by facilitate, facilitating the ability and use of medical countermeasures needed during any public health emergency. And so um, having emergency use, use authorization, it's not just for vaccines, it's for all kinds of things. It was for when we were um, using convalescent plasma, for example. At first it was emergency use, use authorization. So there's different ways of treatment. So in the past where we've used it is during anthrax we had to use it. During the Ebola virus, they had it. During the Enterovirus um, D68, they used it for freeze-dried plasma information for H7N9 influenza time. During the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome coronavirus, during the nerve agent um, issues, and during Zika virus, all we needed emergency use authorization in order to use special treatments to help treat those diseases. So with those vaccinations supposedly on the horizon, is uh, there any idea of when Elmhurst Hospital might uh, receive its first doses of whatever vaccination it gets first? Yes. Um, we actually are in the process of filling out all of the paperwork associated with trying to get the vaccines. It's very, very complicated. We have to send in a lot of information about who will be uh, prescribing it, who's going to be giving it, where it will be given, um, who are we going to be giving it to. So we're hoping that we'll get our first vaccines here as early as maybe December 7th to be able to vaccinate at least our frontline workers. But more realistically, it's probably going to be more toward the end of December and early January. So we've read a lot in the news um most people that have been paying attention that these vaccines need to be kept very cold and so a couple of questions one in particular uh needs to be kept at at minus 70 degrees centigrade um is that typical for the drugs that the hospital has on hand and if not is the hospital ready to store these vaccinations well every every type of drug has different ways you have to store it. Most do not have to be stored like this in the, that cold temperature. So we're working right now with the state and the county health departments to ensure that uh, we understand how the vaccine has to be stored because I think each one of those vaccines have different rules on their storage. Um, both, both, you know, Pfizer and Moderna's um, are very, very cold, but I think the other new one, that, which I can't remember who it is, that just came out does not have to be stored extremely cold. Um, but we are working with the state and health, county health departments to be able to understand how much they have, how cold they have to be, and we are getting the proper equipment available to us so that we can keep it at that storage level. Um, we don't anticipate we'll have an issue doing that because we've been planning for it um, since we heard from the beginning that it, that that's what would be necessary. So you mentioned that the hospital's filling out applications to get the vaccines and a lot of the hospital's plan has to be in there, how it's going to be administered, who's going to administer it. Are there, does it appear there will be any difficulties in administering it? You know, can it be administered 
at the hospital or can it be administered in a, in a line of cars, for instance, or is it because of the temperature, is it much more difficult than that? Um, well, right now we're waiting to find out exactly what we have to do and get that approval, but we think we're going to be able to administer it in um, multiple ways, and we're hoping we can do it in lines of cars at our um, temporary drive-up facility that we're trying, hoping to open in at the BOC. So some might be off-site then. That would be great, wouldn't it? It would make it so much easier for people to know where to go and to get it done quickly and get out. I've also seen some indications that the uh, federal government might pay for these vaccinations for people. Have you heard anything about that? Uh, I don't think anything has been finalized on that, but it's a potential. Of course, anything can happen in Congress, right? That's right. <laughs> don't want to get know. political, but so I've done a little research, and I, I think it's accurate, and it appears based on the number of positive cases right here in Elmhurst, and I'm not talking about the the folks that you've treated at the hospital, but actually Elmhurst residents over 4% of Elmhurst residents have been infected. And then when I look nationwide, it's more like 3.7%. So it's real here, isn't it? I mean, it's we've got it just as bad here as any place else in the country on average. We certainly do. And we've had it um, as bad as anywhere in the country from the beginning. The rest of the state did not have it as bad, but this area, Chicago and Elmhurst, and uh, DuPage County had, was in the first wave and continues to be in the prime of things. And it seems like when I look at the numbers, and you know, numbers can lie sometimes depending on if they're accurate, basically. But it looks like you know, like nearly or a little over two and a half percent of the people who've contracted it from Elmhurst have died. And nationwide, it's closer to two point one percent. Could those numbers all be skewed based on the average age of a community too? Um, yeah, I would imagine if, if the community is, is elderly that they might be a little higher. I think it's, it has to do with your rate of infected people um, as well. But there has been younger people that have died, you know, that were, are not over, let's say, 70 in, in the hospital. So it's not just elderly people. So we've talked a lot over the last few months about mental health issues as it relates to people with COVID. Do those... Uh, people suffering with, you know, um, anxiety and, and the like continue to uh, suffer at higher than normal rates? Yeah, absolutely. Mental health issues related to COVID continue to be higher than normal levels. Uh, what we're observing is that many people are waiting longer to seek help. And then when they do present for care, they're in such a state of mental health crisis um, that, that it's very difficult to treat them. Um, we're, we're seeing much higher numbers of patients presenting to the emergency departments for mental health treatment rather than going to an outpatient program first. We're, um, we are strongly encouraging individuals who are struggling to please reach out for support instead of waiting till they're at a point of crisis because we can help prevent hospitalization and help them feel better more quickly. They, we do have a crisis line available 24-7. It's uh, number is 630 5027, and they can help uh, assess and direct people to the most appropriate level of care at any time. So please reach out, 630-305-5027. So to use a poor analogy, do you think people uh, 
might be suffering from COVID fatigue and might have a shorter fuse when there's a potential conflict with another person and people might be a little bit more on edge in general? <laughs> I, I say absolutely. I think um, m- most people, if not all, are suffering from COVID fatigue. I think people are very irritable. I think um, it's just like if you don't get enough sleep or you're constantly under stress, sometimes you don't respond as nicely as you would if, if things were going well and you've gotten plenty of rest and you don't feel pressured. I think people have to be much more tolerant of each other and uh, recognize that maybe how somebody's responding isn't who they really are and give them a break. And then if you see yourself being cranky and irritable, you know, just apologize to the other person and recognize that uh, it's not really you, it's the situation. And so that you are uh, giving each other the benefit of the doubt and trying to regroup because we need each other right now. And being cranky with each other isn't going to help, but it is a natural and normal response to this continued level of stress. Last week, I uh, was fortunate enough to uh, dial into the Edward Elmhurst Health town hall they had for Elmhurst related to COVID and they had you had a lot of uh, your staff on that uh, town hall meeting via Zoom I believe it was and uh, also the mayor of Elmhurst was on there so my question to you is first of all I thought it was great got a lot of great information did it seem like it was successful and enough people dialed in and it's something that you might try again in the future? You know, I think we had quite a few people dial in. I don't really know the total number, but it was much more successful than the first one we had, which was back in the beginning of the pandemic. So I think people are much more interested now. I thought a lot of really great information was shared there. You know, all the stuff that's going on nationally, the things we're doing for our employees, particularly, you know, how we're incentivizing our staff, how we're hiring people from the community temporarily to help them them, and for them to help us during this time. Also, things like what's new on treatment, what's going on. I thought there was a lot of great information shared. Mayor Morley was wonderful. I know uh, a lot of people wrote in and weren't necessarily always complimentary of what goes on in the city, but it's got to be the hardest job in the world as a mayor to manage during this really difficult time in a pandemic, and I think he's done a fabulous job. I Um, I don't think he'd trade with you in a second. I don't think he'd trade with me, but I wouldn't trade with him either because I think, I think you know, at least we have all these experts helping us. He's flying by the seat of his pants, basically, dealing with having a lot of rules coming at him and, and not really knowing what to do and nobody going to be happy with whatever he decides. Right. So he's got a really, really difficult job. We did go over the new um, monoclonal antibody treatment, and I think that's really exciting. We've been able to have a few patients here receive that um, in our emergency department. We're hoping that's going to help prevent people who are really at high risk from the disease getting too severe with them. Um, You know, just a lot of really great information was shared, and I hope, I don't know if we have it recorded somewhere. We probably do, but, um, you know, I think just as much information as people can get, it's really helpful because there's a lot of misinformation out there. A lot of people who still think this is um, made up by the media and being overhyped, and this is not something that's overhyped. This is something very serious, something that will continue to be out of control until we have herd immunity, and we will not have herd immunity until either 
the majority of people have been ill with it or we get the vaccinations and the majority of people take the vaccinations. If we have vaccinations and people do not take them, it does us no good because we need to get to herd immunity and that only happens when enough people have antibodies in them. I want to make a comment about that town hall too, and that is how impressed I was with the depth of the knowledge that the medical experts on the panel had about the vaccination already at this early stage. And some of us think that that um, vaccination's kind of pie in the sky still, and there's so much unknown about it. But I was very impressed with how how up to date the medical professionals on the staff at Edward Elmhurst are on that. So that that's just my personal comment. Um, one last thing I want to ask you about in a little bit lighter subject, but um, it's going to be a little different this year. The Elmhurst Memorial Hospital Foundation, I know because I'm involved with them to some degree, have um, a couple of events every year, the Love Lights at the hospital and then the Reindeer Housewalk. And I know they're both going to be held this year, but they're going to be a little different, correct? Absolutely. We cannot do the same thing. We would love to do what we've always done, but we are adapting just like everybody else. So the community is invited to participate in the reimagined 44th annual Reindeer Route House Drive. Not House Walk, House Drive. On Wednesday, December 2nd through Friday, December 4th from 5 to 7 p.m. each evening. To maintain this historic community event during COVID-19, the event will be moved outdoors to showcase the exterior of participating homes. This year's events will feature six Elmhurst homes and one Elmhurst neighborhood block with remarkable holiday de decorations. A portion of the proceeds raised from the 2020 Reindeer Route House Drive will benefit our Teen Volunteer Health Profession Scholarship Fund. So for more details on this year's Reindeer Route House Drive, if you visit www.eehealth.org slash housewalk or call the Elmhurst Memorial Hospital Foundation at 331-221-0388. So tickets are not required to participate, but consider making a donation to support this year's event. And then for our annual Love Lights program, Beginning Wednesday, December 2nd, the Central Garden at Elmhurst Hospital will be lit for the season as part of the Elmhurst Memorial Hospital Foundation's Love Lights program. Due to COVID-19, there will be no in-person tree lighting ceremony, which I miss because I get to head that up, or holiday reception in the lobby of the hospital. With a $25 donation, though, community members can dedicate a love light to recognize a caregiver, colleague, volunteer, physician, or special person in a meaningful way. The foundation will feature the names of those recognized with a love light in a special ad in the December 31st issue of the Elmhurst Independent. So make your love light donations online at www.eehealth.org slash love dash lights or by calling the Elmhurst Memorial Hospital Foundation at 331-221-0388. And I, and I can tell you, it's really meaningful. My dad passed away many years ago. Um, my mother just passed away in June. I have, this will be the first, my mother was at the last Love Lights ceremony. So this will be my first time to be able to dedicate to my mother since her passing. And I will continue because every year I, I dedicate to my father. It's so nice to have something symbolic to represent somebody that you love and care about who has passed on. Well, that's uh, 
I think is a great way to honor our past loved ones. And, um, and uh, the uh, reindeer house drive sounds very interesting also. And I hope there's a few aspiring Clark Griswolds out there that are going to over-decorate <laughs> their homes. I'm sure they'll be de- decorated a lot more classy than the house and Christmas vacation, but uh, I'm sure that, no, that sounds like a lot of fun. And do we know what block that is going to be featured? I don't yet? know. It's a secret. Okay. It's a big <laughs> secret. Well, hopefully you'll, uh, you'll tell us soon in uh, one of our upcoming podcasts. Well, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Uh, again, I'm so impressed with uh, what's going on over at the hospital and look forward to hearing about the success of that vaccine soon. Thank you. And thank you for everything that you've done for our hospital and our community. You are such a great representative of our community. And I hope you and your family have a wonderful, safe Thanksgiving holiday. You too. Thank you, Pam. This is Mary Beth Harper, director of the Elmhurst Public Library, and you're listening to the E-Town Lowdown with your hosts, Robbie and Rick, but PK is the one with all the talent. The staff and management of the E-Town Lowdown would like to assure our more sensitive listeners that our food critic, Sal, is really half Italian. His mother is from Poland, and his father is from the great country of Italy. We hope you will enjoy and not be offended. Hey, everybody. Slappy Sal, the half-Italian food critic here at the E-Town Lowdown. I'm going to tell you about the finest cuisine we got here in E-Town. We're going to talk about uh, sandwiches and sausages, all kinds of stuff. He might even talk about some food that's not Italian. Maybe. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? You listen to old Sal here and you get the lowdown on all the good eats. Last Thursday... I wanted some breakfast, so I headed over to the Fresh Start Cafe, you know, over by Ace Hardware down by the hospital. I happened to have met the owner once. They call him Meech, you know, like Meechu in St. Louis. I figured I'd see how good Meech can make a breakfast, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? So I walk in there, Meech is at the counter, and he nods at me. So I says, uh, hey, Meech, how you doing? He says, uh, hey, Sal, how you doing? Hey, so far so good. So I'm looking around a joint, and there's a bunch of local yahoos in there. I see Mikey the backbreaker, and I see Marky the senator, who, by the way, has a pink toilet sitting in his front yard for some weird reason. I don't know. And I run smack dab into my dear friend, Miss Marianne. And whenever I see her, I got to sing that old song. Come on, Marianne, say you can understand my Marianne. You know that song? It's my guy, Mr. Francis Castelluccio. But you probably know him better as Frankie Valley, but that's a whole nother story. So who do I see up in the balcony? It's none other than Rick from the E-Town Lowdown sitting at his heavily reinforced table. There's no sign of his good buddies Frank and Leg and Destructo, but he waves me over, so I decided I'd join him for breakfast. Turns out Marky the Senator joins us too. Good times. Turns out Fresh Start's got this great deal. It's called a Dewey Dewey Dewey. Or if you don't speak the Italian language, I'll explain it to you in British. It's the two plus two plus two. You see, you get two of everything. Bada boom. Eggs, bacon, sausage, French toast. By the way, you can tell the toast is French because if you point a gun at it, it surrenders. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? But you can get pancakes, a waffle, whatever works for you. Turns out uh, Meech also makes a heck of an omelet. They got all kinds of omelets too. Greek ones, Mexican ones, you name it. One of these days, I'm going to teach Meech how to make an Italian omelet. Get some sausage and peppers in there, you know what I mean? 
So I get me a mile high omelet, and this plate is like gigantic. I'm looking at it like, how in the good name of Dominic the donkey am I going to eat all these ham and eggs? Not for nothing, it was delicioso, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? So we put down these huge breakfast plates along with a couple pots of good strong coffee. Gotta tell you, there's nothing better than some eggs and meat to get me started in the morning. I like Fresh Start so much, I may start coming here every Thursday. Can't imagine I'll see Rick and Marky there every Thursday, but hey, who knows? This is Slappy Sal, the half-Italian food critic for the Eat Town Lowdown, saying, hey, keep your eyes forward and your belt slightly loosened, just in case. The E-Town Lowdown, brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra, featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right, nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.